Welcome to the One Foot Down Podcast. I am Eric Murtaugh, Editor-in-Chief of OFD. This is our 45th podcast. Well, we got lots to talk to today. I'm going to hit a bunch of different topics. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the Northwestern loss. I'll get that out of the way first. Um, and then I'm going to spend a little time about the future of Brian Kelly, maybe go on some ramblings about that, kind of give you a sense of what I'm feeling with all that talk and some of the things that are popping up in the news lately. Um, talk a little bit about the assistant coaches. Uh, we've been talking behind the scenes at One Foot Down uh, between our writers about, you know, what assistants to keep, uh, who's doing good, who's not doing good. Uh, talk about that. I think that'll tie pretty well into the uh, the future of Brian Kelly. And then I'm going to just wrap things up with a preview of the Louisville Cardinals. Um, big game for Notre Dame. I know a lot of people aren't feeling too uh, positive about Notre Dame winning this game. I would put myself in that category. I think there's a couple things maybe that are going to give Notre Dame the chance to win this weekend. And maybe at the top of that list is a uh, good old mother nature. Um, but first up, this Northwestern loss, there's no way to uh, dance around the subject. Just a really, really bad loss. Um, you know, a lot of people talked about this, the loss being the worst of the Kelly era. Um, it would have been the, the highest ranking loss in that top 100 list that I came out with in the off season. If you remember, I actually weighted those different been probably at the top for Brian Kelly because of uh, I gave so much weight to that championship category and you know Notre Dame sitting at seven and two. Um, I guess you could you probably would, would have given some championship points to the fact that the Northwestern loss pretty much ended Notre Dame's chances of playing in the Orange Bowl or like a one of those quote unquote second-tier bowls, which are still kind of major bowls. So that in that sense, I guess I would have added some points. But, uh, you know, just not really using those 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 categories, I, I think there's a pretty good case that it was probably up there. I, I, maybe the Navy game from 2010 was probably worse because I just think that was a failure on just every single level. And that was more of an embarrassment. I mean – Notre Dame was at least winning this game and shot themselves in the foot with turnovers and some boneheaded plays some bad calls by the coaching staff. Uh, you know, the defense is a mess. Uh, they're all injured. Uh, there were some injuries in that 2010 game against Navy, but Navy just I mean, ran Notre Dame off the field. And that's, I know there's a lot of people saying, well, it was the first year of Kelly and, that, and that's true. And this is the fifth year. And, um, you know, I'm not poo-pooing the fact that, losses like this shouldn't happen because they shouldn't. Um, but then again, you know, this happens to pretty much every team at some point. I mean, Alabama hasn't really suffered a loss like this in a really long time. They're kind of the – they're not really the norm now, are they? I mean, pretty much any type of measurement you use, they're not any sort of normal, you know, top 10 school. They're just kind of in a category by themselves, but – it's just a bad loss, a loss that kind of – I wrote about this in my review. I, I kind of sp spilled everything that I was feeling at the time. And 
Um, I'm not too worried about the recruiting class. Normally, uh, if you know Notre Dame had five or six top 150 guys, I would kind of feel pretty nervous about losing half of those guys. I, I get the feeling that the coaching staff kind of knew that this wasn't going to be a great year. Um, and maybe that's why they quote unquote reached for some of those three stars early on and got, um, you know, a Makad. Good project players. Uh, maybe one or two of them can come in, contribute as freshmen, um, good size, you know, so I don't think there's really huge, fear of uh, this recruiting class falling apart. We'll see um, how these last two games of the season go. It didn't really pick up any steam. It, it didn't. So, um, you know, just in a, in a big program sense, this pushed things back considerably, I'd say. I mean, obviously, this whole week that we've been talking about Brian Kelly's future and uh, is he the right guy? I mean, it's pretty uh, – it's crazy to think about – that we're having these discussions. I'm not saying that it's that they're dumb or not necessary. I think uh, anytime you lose a game like this, that it's proper to uh, to think that maybe uh, you might need to make a, a change at some point in the future. I, I do. I don't really like people uh, defending Kelly at all stops, and I, I kind of feel like. There's some people that are going to be that way. And I think it's like that with any coach. I mean, at some point, everyone is going to jump off the ship. And I know that a lot of the, uh, well, let's just call them the a-holes across the Notre Dame internet community. And they pretty much plant their stake uh, against every coach because, it's, you know, the odds are heavily in favor of, of Notre Dame coach being fired. And eventually they're going to be proven right. So, I mean, they, a lot of people take uh, a lot of pride in that fact and, uh, you know, good for them, but I don't really think it's it's an intellectual uh, uh, argument. I think there's a lot of uh, political stuff involved with that. And but I th- and on the other side of that coin, I do think there's people that are just going to reflexively uh, support Kelly pretty much no matter what. And uh, you know, short of him maybe collapsing and having a, a three, four, or five one season, I think a lot of people are just going to be there to defend him. And, um, you know, it's not like those people don't have merits to, uh, their opinions and, and the facts that they're bringing the, to the table. I, I, I just really try to stay as even keeled as I can about all this stuff because, you know, the Northwestern loss is a bad loss, but it is just one game. The defense is a mess right now with injuries um, you know, Jamie had a, a great article up today on the site about the recruiting misses, and that is on the coaching staff. A lot of that is um, they definitely didn't pay attention to inside linebacker enough. Um, the defensive line is a little bit different story. A lot of uh, injuries and uh, some some weird stuff happened there. I, in the past, I've always kind of said, you know, defensive line would be the top priority for me if I was coaching Notre Dame. And um, yeah, we've I've, I've kind of argued with people about this before, but I would definitely take less bodies at offensive line and over recruit at defensive line because when you look at the offensive line right now, and it's it's in great shape. Um, Harry Heastan's done a good job recruiting. 
we got like 16 guys there. And, you know, the, the sad reality is, well, maybe that's really great for practice and you're going to end up really helping develop your like top five or six guys. The reality of the situation is, you know, take 16 players, you know, you're going to have four or five kids that are never going to see a field in Notre Dame. And, the, and right now that's going to be four or five guys that are mid to high four stars, maybe, uh, you know, take somebody like Hunter Biven, who I loved coming out of high school. Um, I'm not terribly surprised that he hasn't made an impact yet, but, you know, that kid was a high four-star player coming out of high school. You know, you look at next year, who's going to be in the starting lineup? Um, you know, you got Quentin Nelson, who looks like a five-star stub. Maybe he slides in. I mean, he's gonna, he might pass somebody like Biven, but, I mean, you have Biven and maybe – uh, John Montalus. I mean, these kids were highly touted recruits, and just the nature of that position is you're not going to have some of these kids that are really going to be, ever be starting at Notre Dame. And then you look at the other side on defense, uh, you know, you can use eight, nine, ten defensive linemen every single year. So, um, you know, I, I, I kind of I, – I, it's it's tough to say. I, I, lo- I love the recruiting offensive line, but just in terms of – roster numbers and scholarship numbers and all that stuff, I would I would kind of lean towards defensive line with that. So, um, But going back to what I was saying about this being a bad loss, you know, um, I wasn't terribly upset about the loss. It's just one game. I do think it sucks because instead of going 8-4 and four this year, which is what I predicted, it kind of seemed like, you know, even if they'd won this Northwestern game, they probably would have ended up eight and four. Now it's looking more like seven and five. And you know, you, you look at the big picture, and in a way that I guess that's a big deal. A lot of people, um, I guess, eight and four. You win another bowl game. You go nine and four back to back years. That's that's a lot better than going seven to five. I can't even imagine if this team goes seven and six. I mean, that's not. I mean, that's going to bring up a lot of Charlie Weiss talk and. Uh, You know, I just I don't like it because I, I let me see if I can put this diplomatically. Next year is going to be a really big year, and I think if Notre Dame goes seven and a five this year, he's going to lose a lot of people. And I know it's going to be a lot of the a holes on the internet within the Notre Dame community who don't like Brian Kelly and who are going to they've been waiting and just waiting and waiting and waiting for this moment to come. And, um, you know, it's just going to make the off season pretty brutal. I mean, Notre Dame goes seven and five. I mean, it's not going to be a whole lot to look forward till till next year. Um, you know, the margin for error next for 2015 is going to be very thin and I'm okay with that. You know, if Notre Dame goes 10 and two, there's no way Notre Dame's going to fire Brian Kelly. I know that people are going to say, well, he hasn't won a championship, or maybe we're still not close to a championship, or he's, he hasn't proven he can't win a championship. Brian, they're not going to fire Notre, uh, Brian Kelly if he goes 10-2 next year. Uh, I think it would be really crazy to think of, of that happening. So I'm kind of getting ahead of myself with the future of Brian Kelly. But, uh, you know, you look at this game against Northwestern, um, and I was just looking at the box score again. 
It's pretty crazy. I kind of forgot that Notre Dame scored 20 points in the first quarter. I didn't really see anything uh, in any of the recaps about when was the last time Notre Dame lost a game when they scored 20 in the first quarter. Have they lost a game in the past when they scored 20 in the first quarter? I don't know. Um, I think the way that Northwestern was able to move the ball early in this game kind of prepared me for a loss, I guess. I mean, I was surprised, obviously, like everyone else at Notre Dame lost, but, you know, Northwestern had, what was it, 100, almost 150 yards rushing in the first quarter alone. I mean, I was thinking, oh, my God, this is probably going to be that one really bad loss that Notre Dame's going to have, and it just seems like Notre Dame can't shake that one bad loss every year except for 2012 during the regular season at least. Uh you know, we've talked about it enough on the site. The defense was utterly unbelievable in this game. I mean, some of the some of the total numbers for Northwestern with their offensive output in this game were kind of boosted by the fact that they ran so many plays. But again, you know, these teams are noticing Notre Dame can't handle the, the um tempo. Um, so, I mean, yards per play. Northwestern was at 5.7, which is not good. That's not a good day at the office for Notre Dame's defense, but that's not – I mean, you look at 547 yards, that looks really bad. Um, but, uh, you know, they got off 96 plays. So, you know, it's just – it's really tough for me to think that Notre Dame's going to be able to uh, pull things together here with, the, with all the stuff on defense. Sheldon Day's out. Um, Daniel Cage is out for this weekend. Um, kind of expected that was going to happen. So, I mean, the depth is going to be really tested this weekend. You know, Notre Dame turnover in this game. I, You know, the last podcast I talked about, I thought Golson would eventually work his turnovers out. Again, he loses a fumble. I, I can, I think he can, he can get blamed for that fumble. Um, you know, the, again, the offensive line gets blown up on that play. Folsom gets pushed into Golson, but Golson's got to hold on to that ball. Um, I don't really put a whole lot of blame on his interception. So, again, yet another interception where it's not like he's dropping back with good protection. He makes a terrible read, and he throws a ball, you know, into zone coverage, doesn't see a linebacker falling back into his zone, and it's picked off. Another Notre Dame gets beat on the edge by rush by a pass rusher. Golson gets hit while he's thrown, bounces off a helmet, gets picked, and not only does he get picked, but he takes it back all the way to I believe the four yard line. I mean, you just got to shake your head at that stuff. You know, I've seen a lot of stuff uh, around the internet, um, and it seems like a lot of people are just losing patience with Golson. I I can understand that, but it doesn't really seem like people are willing to see how good he has been outside of the turnovers. And I, and I know that there's a lot of people who really just can't see both sides of that. I mean, for a lot of people, if you're a quarterback and you're turning the ball over, you shouldn't play. And I think that's kind of an old school approach that people just take, you know, a lot of people want to sit Golson for a series or two to see Zaire. Um, you know, if you, I see if you challenge people on that point, they want to say, "Well, it'll calm Golson down, and he'll and he'll learn his lesson, and that's just good coaching." And why not see what Zaire can do? It doesn't mean we want Zaire to start. I mean, does it really? I mean, is it really going to help Golson? I mean, 
yeah, you could look back to 2012 and say that, you know, he got benched against Pitt and um, having Reese come in and, and play for a little bit, helped out, and and uh, that settled Golson down. But then look what happened in that game. Reese threw a pick. Golson came back in. Yeah, he played great the rest of the game. Um, he also threw a really bad late interception in the end zone, one of his worst interceptions of his career. So, you know, I you have to look at what Golson's been doing outside of the turnovers, and he's playing extremely well. I don't really understand why a lot of people aren't talking about that or really hesitant to bring that up. He, he has been, I mean, he's been playing really well. If you had, if I had told you before the season that he was going to put up, you know, the completion percentage, the yards, the touchdowns, uh, the rushing touchdowns and all of that, I mean, you would have been, everyone would have taken that. Everyone would have been like, man, he's back. I mean, this, he's improved. Uh, he took the offense on his back. He, you know, he did all that stuff. Now, yeah, the turnovers, they suck right now. And like I said, I think he's hes always going to have a fumbling issue. I don't think that's ever going to completely go away like it would with a running back. I mean, you just kind of kind of hope that's something that happens every three or four games and not every single game. Um, but I'll stand by it. I think Golson's a really good quarterback. I don't have any interest of seeing Zaire play right now. Um, and uh, until he starts throwing – a bunch of interceptions that are just really bad reads where he has time and makes poor throws or his accuracy goes to crap. Um, I'm not, I'm still not that worried about interceptions. I do think that he's going to get it under control eventually. And, um, you know, people want to say, well, there's going to be a a stiff competition next year uh, going into uh, Golson's last year. (laughs) I don't think there's going to be. So, you know, Golson has improved. He hasn't necessarily in turnovers, but a lot of that stuff is pretty fluky. So, um, hopefully, he can he can come in and, and have a a clean game this weekend. Now he's got his work cut out for him against this Louisville defense, who leads the country in takeaways. So, if he can have zero turnovers in this game, I think that's a really big step forward for uh, for the offense. So, um, you know. I don't really have anything else to say about this uh, this Northwestern game. Um, yeah, I'm just going to move on. It's, it's a bad loss. It kind of has sent everything into a tailspin, talking about the future of Brian Kelly. And, um, you know, like I said, the pressure is going to be uh, razor thin next year. And, uh, you know, the schedule is pretty interesting next year. Um I was talking to some of our one foot down writers and, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Notre Dame kind of started slow next year. They have Texas. Um, I think Virginia's the second game. I think Georgia Tech's the third game. You've got Clemson pretty early and you've got USC in the middle of that schedule. I think, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Notre Dame started something like three and two or four and two, but then ran the table after that. And, you know, that could be pretty interesting, uh, pretty interesting, uh, season for Notre Dame it would be uh, I, I would imagine it would be a, a big roller coaster ride you can imagine if Notre Dame finishes seven and five maybe wins a bowl game goes eight and five you know everyone's everyone's talking about Brian Kelly's future and imagine Notre Dame losing to Texas to open the season and then maybe you know losing to Clemson uh, but you know you look at the, the end of that schedule it's pr- it's pretty weak so there's going to be hopefully 
five straight wins to end that that season next year. So, you know, I, I've kind of looked at that Texas game, and it looked like earlier this year that that was going to be a not an easy game, but it w- didn't look like Charlie Strong was going to have Texas humming uh, by that that second season. Now you look at Texas has won three straight, beat a couple good teams. Uh, they beat West Virginia, Oklahoma State. Um, you know, they've got the recruits. Uh, you know, the quarterback's going to be uh, another year experienced. He's big. He's athletic. He's athletic. Uh, that's going to be a tough game for Notre Dame. If they can take care of business against Texas next year, you know, I think that's going to set things up pretty nicely. I think that's going to give you a little a bit of a buffer zone to, uh, to uh, you know, you lose to, to Clemson, who's going to have a good quarterback, and USC, who's going to have Kessler, most likely. I don't think he's going to go pro. So, uh, you know, as long as they can maybe take care of business against option teams, against Georgia Tech and Navy, I mean, God willing, I hope 10-2 and two is what you see next year. Now, I think where there's going to be a lot of gray area, as if Notre Dame goes 9-3, and three, now that could be, you know, lose to Texas, lose to Clemson, lose to USC. Probably not going to have any good wins on the, on the schedule next year if that happens. Um, but, you know, that's I, – I don't really have any answers. I, I kind of love people – we're going to want to keep Kelly, and, and I and I do understand people who are going to say, well, he hasn't made discernible progress. Um, you know, he's not showing that he can win a championship here. I don't really like um, using that as the standard. I know people get all up in a tizzy about, well, this is Notre Dame, and you should be measured by what championships. But you know what? This isn't you know, the, the, the mid, the late nineties and early two thousands in New York Yankees, where this is the case of Brian Kelly going to major bowl games or getting into the playoffs and continually losing. And we need to get a new coach who could come in here and get Notre Dame over the hump and win a national championship. It's a lot more complicated than that. There's a lot of gray area with Brian Kelly. And I think that's why he upsets a lot of people. Um, because he's not so easily fireable. And, you know, that's part of the reason why I think a lot of the people that don't like him are going to turn up the heat immediately. I mean, this whole week, I mean, it's just gone up full blast. Um, you know, it's funny seeing a lot of people that aren't around talking very much when Notre Dame is uh, undefeated and 6-0 and and things are going great and the second things go wrong, all these people come out of the woodwork and, uh, you know, that's just the way things go. And, uh, you know, lately the, the big news is uh, some of the rumors that Brian Kelly's linked to the Florida job. And, of course, that upsets people. And there's all this talk about how Brian Kelly and the reporter Chris Mortensen share the same agent. And, um, you know, they feel like Brian Kelly could control the situation and not, and not have that get out. Um, I really don't think it's that big of a deal. I, I don't know, understand why so many Notre Dame fans make this stuff such a big deal. And I have no doubt that now this story, which will probably fade away within a couple of weeks, is going to be lumped in with the Eagles dalliance from a couple of years ago. And it's just going to be, oh, another strike against Brian Kelly who can't – he's always looking around and, oh, he's trying to do this and he's trying to make these moves and he doesn't really want to be in Notre Dame and he doesn't love Notre Dame. I mean, God, there's – 
Then that talks coming back again about how much Brian Kelly doesn't love Notre Dame and how he's a mercenary. I mean, God, it's just I don't understand why people have to get so worked up about this stuff. I mean, if it's if it, I really don't think Brian Kelly is going to go to the Florida job. It's just one rumor from one reporter. It's going to fade away. We're all going to move on with our lives, but yet the people are just going to use that against Brian Kelly when, I mean, what's he really supposed to do in that situation? I mean, there's really nothing he can do. He's not going to publicly comment on it. It's just going to fade away. Just like, you know, dozens of other coaches have this stuff come up every single year. Um, you know, I just find that stuff more annoying than anything. And, you know, it, it's like Kelly's damned if you do it. He's damned if he does and damned if he doesn't, you know, people are saying that he needs to be more accountable with, uh, for example, the two-point conversion, they weren't happy with the way he he, held, he uh, handled that immediately after the game. What's he do on Tuesday? He says he needs to do a better job. It was a brain fart, blah, blah, blah. You know, he's more accountable. And then does that really matter to anybody? Nope. They just turn around and say, well, it shouldn't have happened. He's going to be measured by what he does on the field. So, you know, this stuff doesn't matter. I mean, people get so worked up about what Brian Kelly says and does, what he doesn't say or do, and stuff like that. And, you know, it's just, it's just round and round it goes. It's just, it's just annoying. I don't understand why everyone gets so caught up in it. And, uh, you know, the thing with Brian Kelly's future is you have to look at the coaching market now. And let's just say, Notre Dame wants to make a change after the 2015 season. Or let's just say you, the listener, you want to make a change. Uh, you want to fire Brian Kelly after the season. Well, who are you going to hire? Because, you know, too much of the talk centers around the fact that, oh, well, we know Brian Kelly's not going to get it done. He's not going to win a championship, so you have to move on. And that's that. Well, you know, it's just not that easy. It's a lot more complicated than that. You need to have a coach come in here that hopefully can improve upon what Brian Kelly's built. Hopefully he can be a, someone that you think is a better coach than Brian Kelly. You know, whether these people who say these things or not want to admit it, they don't have anybody lined up that is really as good or better than Brian Kelly now. I always have to laugh because, you know, a lot of people want to say, well, the Notre Dame administration doesn't care about having a winning football team. And you know what? The one thing that anybody can ever say about that is they don't want to hire a better coach. And it's really easy to say that because, I mean, there's really no accountability for that. I mean, nobody knows what Jack Swarbrick's thinking. Nobody knows what he's doing to prepare for the future. And it's just easy to say, oh, well, they don't care. That's why they're not going to fire Brian Kelly. And, you know, you look you look at when Jack Swarbrick was hired, he got so much flack for not firing Charlie Weiss um, within, you know, the first year of his tenure. I'm talking about Jack Swarbrick's tenure. He got a lot of flack for not firing Charlie Weiss after 2008. And you know what? I don't understand why people think that that's a bad thing. Do you want to fire a guy just because, 
you know, you wanted Jack Swarbrick to to make some sort of statement that he he knew that Charlie Weiss wasn't the guy for the program, and you know, we want to win, so we're going to fire Charlie Weiss because he's not the answer. Or would you rather have had Jack Swarbrick, you know, take an extra twelve months and uh, make sure that he's got the right and proper coach lined up um, to hire someone better? And I'd really think that that's something that people, a lot of people just don't take that stuff into account. And, and of course, those same people want to say that Brian Kelly wasn't a good hire in the first place. And that just goes back to the fact that, you know, Swarbrick didn't fire Weiss in 08. And then on top of that, he hires Brian Kelly, the small-timey coach. Well, I mean, if you really think that, then, you know, we're probably not going to agree on a whole lot of things to do with, uh, with Notre Dame football. So, you know, even if you think that Notre Dame has to move on from Brian Kelly after the 2015 season, you have to have somebody lined up. And not only that, you have to make sure um, that that person's going to be able to come to Notre Dame. And it's not – and I, I hate the way that this whole argument is couched in the terms of, well, it's just a matter of, of want to by the Notre Dame administration. It's just a matter of want to by Jack Swarbrick. Like, I don't understand. That's the most, like, talk about small-timey. That's the most small-timey um, thought process for hiring a college football coach. It's not a matter of, you know, Jack Swarbrick picking up a phone and uh, and saying, I'm going to make the the football program better today by finding Brian Kelly and hiring this coach. Well, who's that coach going to be? And, you know, a lot of people are, are trying to talk about, you know, some of the candidates out there who were, who might, who may be available if Notre Dame ends up moving on from Brian Kelly. And, and, uh, you know, there's not really, it's not a good list right now. I mean, I'll kind of go through a handful of coaches here in a second that I think, uh, could be good choices. I don't really feel great about any of them. A couple of them were maybe, told the line of what Brian Kelly's able to do at Notre Dame. But I just want to go back to the fact that, you know, a lot of people just keep swinging that hammer that the Notre Dame administration doesn't care. And, you know, you can't say that about really anything other than hiring a coach. And it's, and it really goes back to the, the hyper politicalization of Notre Dame football, because, you know, you look at what Notre Dame has been, has done in the past, um, you know, They've made all these improvements to the Goog, um, you know, coaching salaries. I mean, you just go down the list of what they've been able to do, training table, um, you know, some of the assistant staff, support staff. I mean, Notre Dame has made a lot of a lot of effort to help the, the football program. Um, you know, some people want to point to the crossroads as some sort of misguided whatever, but even that is another attempt by the school to kind of uh, mesh the academic and the football program into one. I mean, you talk, you talk to somebody about, you know, that the Notre Dame administration doesn't care about, you know, winning football. And uh, I, I kind of wonder if those people are, are still thinking that it's 1997 and 1999 or whatever. But, uh, you know, you really can't take that opinion seriously. And, you know, and it's easy just to say they don't want to, they're going to keep Brian Kelly around because they they like that he wins eight, nine games, and that's that. And They don't want to hire anybody else because whatever. They don't 
they don't want to have another coach come in and they don't care about championships. Like it's just that easy. They don't care. And, um, you know, that's that. And there's, you know, I know that I'm not going to be changing any of those people's opinions, but you know, that stuff really does kind of annoy me. Um, you know, I think that Jack Swarbrick and a lot of people around Notre Dame do care. And, um, you have to be very careful, uh, about, you know, getting what you're asked for in a situation where, you know, even if Brian Kelly does go nine and three next year in 2015, still going to be around that 70% win percentage mark. And, uh, you know, you look at the history of programs that fired coaches after, uh, you know, winning that many games and, uh, it's not pretty, you know, you look at Nebraska that kind of slid into irrelevance. Um, you know, there's numerous other examples of, of schools that fired coaches and then, you know, they kind of went back into, uh, mediocrity and, and uh, you know above all else and I really can't stress this enough you know Brian Kelly has done a lot of good things for Notre Dame um, I do expect them to be pretty good next year I don't know if they'll be great hopefully they are I don't know um, you know we still have a lot of football left to be played this year we'll see how they finish up but in a lot of respects hiring the next coach to follow Brian Kelly is a lot more important than I think Brian Kelly coming in after Charlie Weiss because, you know, again, a lot of people hate that Kelly's able to win, you know, seven to nine games and he's got that 12 win season in his belt as well. And they don't like how he's not so easily fireable. And that kind of goes back to the whole, Oh, the, the, the administration's comfortable with him. You know, it's almost like if, uh, uh, you know, if Brian Kelly were to lose, you know, like eight or nine games, um, the 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 a holes of the internet aren't able to really say that the administration doesn't care because then uh, you know Brian Kelly gets fired. And but with Brian Kelly kind of sitting in that gray area, it really allows them to uh, to go after the administration for not caring and oh they're not they don't have the same standards as we do and blah blah blah. But um. You know, it's it's going to be really important at some point in the future um, to make a really good quality hiring uh, after um, Brian Kelly leaves. Now, if you were to ask me what I think is going to happen, I still think the odds are that Brian Kelly. Um, I don't. I would probably put the odds, the highest odds of him, just flat out retiring at some point. Um, probably maybe like 2017 or something like that, 2018. Um, I still don't think he's really going to be going to the NFL. I know a lot of people still believe that he's going to, but I probably would put that maybe on par with him being fired at some point. So I still think at some point Kelly's going to, you know, hit a wall um, like so many Notre Dame coaches do, and you know, physically, emotionally, whatever. And um, and just kind of walk away and retire. It's not like he's a young guy anymore. I mean, a couple more years, he'll be in his late 50s. So, you know, I, I, that's what I kind of uh, suspect is going to be happening in the future. So, you know, I was talking to some of our writers about, you know, at some point, you know, who who could come into Notre Dame and, uh, and uh, fill his shoes and, and, and do a good job now. Uh, I've got a list here of uh, – six or seven guys 
probably at the top of that list. And I, I liked him before I really got to, uh, to know Brian Kelly um, pretty well after uh, those final couple seasons of the Charlie Weiss era. And that's Gary Patterson at TCU. I've always liked him as a coach. He had a couple of rocky seasons in the Big 12, uh, making that transition. Um, but uh, he's kind of a rocky, a rocky personality. I don't think he'd really uh, fit in tremendously in terms of uh, you know press conferences and, and going on the circuit and talking to alumni clubs and doing the Rockney dinner and stuff like that. Uh, I don't think he's a great fit in terms of that, but I really do let think I think he's a great coach, um, you know, good defensive mind. Um, I like that he uh, uses a, a versatile spread offense. He's about the same age as Kelly, so, I mean, that's not really ideal. You know, maybe Kelly's gone in two or three years, bringing Gary Patterson. Uh, he's, he's almost 60. He's probably not going to be around too long, so that's probably not a long-term solution. And, uh, you know, just talking, looking at the whole – you know, coaching market, I mean, that's a really big issue right now. There's not a whole lot of ideal candidates who are, you know, 45, 48 years old who have coached, um, you know, maybe 10 years, been in multiple programs, done good things. There's just not that many guys out there who fit that bill. Um, I'm not really necessarily going in order. I'm just kind of listing the guys um, that I think – could work. Um, a second would be Mark D'Antonio from Michigan State. Um, if he doesn't come Narduzzi, then I don't want him. He's probably not going to be coming, um, you know, just because of the whole Michigan State to Notre Dame thing. Um, who knows how much affinity he has for Notre Dame? And at any rate, he's probably too old. You know, he's almost sixty, so you know, probably not somebody who's going to. Uh, come into Notre Dame and, and coach for too long. And you got to think at some point, Narduzzi's going to break away from D'Antonio and go out and be a head coach of his own. Um, I mean, maybe Narduzzi's a, a candidate that some people want to talk about, but probably not until he uh, gets some head coaching experience under his belt. You know, Kyle Whittingham is, is someone I think is interesting. Um, I've always liked him just on a, on a personal level. I don't really think I could – talk too many people into him being uh, you know a great fit in our team he's Mormon uh, he's been pretty much stuck in the west in the west coast and maybe he helps California recruiting a little bit but um, you know he's a good coach uh, he's doing some good things again this year at Utah after having a couple rocky years in the Pac-12 making that transition a lot like Gary Patterson He's also like Patterson in in the sense that he has uh, you know tough defense and uh, he's a spread offense guy. You know, me personally, that's what I'm looking for. So, uh, you know, the next guy is Jim McElwain. I'm interested to see what happens with him in the future here. Um, you know, a lot of people are talking about he has a big buyout. I don't know how much of an issue that's going to be for some of the the major programs like Michigan or, or Florida or whoever. Um, you know, McElwain, he's got a really nice 10-year coaching resume. Um, he's been an assistant uh, in the NFL, I believe. Uh, obviously, most people remember him for being the offensive coordinator under Nick Saban. Um, so a lot of bonus points there. I, I think that makes him really attractive to a lot of people. I do kind of wonder if he wasn't an assistant under Saban and, and maybe if he was an assistant under, like, Les Miles, would he be as attractive? I don't know. Maybe 
you could go back and forth on that. Um, the only thing with him is, you know, he's the same. He's roughly the same age as Brian Kelly, and he's only been a head coach for three years. So um, that's kind of a, a risky. There's a, a risk factor to that. You know, I think if Michigan, let's put it this way, if Michigan were to hire Jim McElwain, I would probably classify that as a good hire. But at the same time, it wouldn't really surprise me if, uh, you know, he didn't turn out to be great. But, you know, he's made major progress at Colorado State here every single year. Um, Probably going to have 10 or 11 wins this year. We'll see if he can get into a good bowl game and kind of what his team can do against maybe a tougher uh, opponent. But uh, it's just kind of a guy you wish he was 10 years younger. Um, And then in that case, you know, he'd be someone to maybe look at down a couple years down the road. Gary Anderson at Wisconsin is another guy um, that is probably worth keeping on the radar. Um, he's he's on par with McElwain in the sense that he's kind of a, a rising star. I mean, maybe he gets more points for being at a, at a BCS school or a Power 5 school. Excuse me, I don't like using the BCS uh, lingo anymore. Uh, he gets some bonus points for being at Wisconsin now. Um, but even he's not that experienced as a head coach. He's 50. He's, he's sneaky old. Um, you know, he, I think this is only his sixth year as a head coach uh, in college football. He was at Utah State for four, and this is his second year at Wisconsin. Um, you know, he, he seems like a good guy, but really doesn't have that much experience playing against other uh, Power Five teams. You know, he had a big win this weekend uh, with Melvin Gordon broke the rushing record against Nebraska. But you look at his career, and that's probably his biggest win. Uh, you know over his, his entire coaching career. And uh, so, you know, it's not like he's exactly this this major proven commodity now. Maybe two years down the road, is he someone that Notre Dame could look at and say, uh, you know, he's a good fit for Notre Dame. And, um, you know, jumping from Wisconsin to Notre Dame kind of seems like it could make sense. Um, I know a lot of people loved uh, – his first name escapes me, but Chris at Pitt, a lot of people liked him at, uh, at Wisconsin as a coordinator and, uh, oof, things aren't going too well for him at Pitt right now. So, uh, but you know, a lot of people felt like going from Wisconsin and, and, and then jumping to Notre Dame wasn't, you know, it's not like going from Texas to Notre Dame. It's, that's, it's a jump upward, uh, in the college football, uh, arena. So, um, you know, a lot of people are going to bring up Chuck Martin. I personally don't really feel like that's somewhere that I would go if I was Jack Swarbrick. The only, the only, um, I don't think he would be at the top of my list. Let's put it that way. I think if Brian Kelly were to suddenly retire after next year, 2016, or if he does leave for the NFL or some other job, I think Chuck Martin becomes more attractive in the sense that he can kind of continue the Brian Kelly system. And then maybe, you know, he can do better than Brian Kelly. You know, a lot of people point to the Grand Valley um, situation and, and, and Chuck Martin was more prolific than Brian Kelly following in his footsteps. Maybe Chuck Martin can do the same thing at Notre Dame, but I don't know if uh, I would necessarily fire Brian Kelly and hire Chuck Martin. I don't really under, I don't really think that that's a move I would make unless, you know, the coach, unless the coaching uh, market is really, really bad. And um, 
I think just the fact that Chuck Martin is being in the discussion is kind of a an admission that the coaching market is that bad right now. So, you know, I, I think that Chuck Martin has a lot to prove, um, and uh, you know, I just want to see him him do well at Miami, and then maybe go to another school after that, and then kind of come back and we'll revisit if he can come back to Notre Dame. But a lot of people do like him. You know, there's no doubt that he loves Notre Dame and probably would want to coach at Notre Dame. So that's important to a lot of people. But I do think that he has to uh, to prove himself more as a head coach, um, you know, at the FBS level. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about Butch Davis at Tennessee. Um, he, followed, he followed Brian Kelly at Cincinnati, did some good things there. Still struggling at Tennessee, but the recruiting is through the roof. Um, so you would imagine they're not going to be down for much longer. Uh, you know, that's an interesting one. I, I think, you know, and I don't really like to pull the whole morality card, but he's been doing some, uh, some fishy things in terms of recruiting. I mean, they've put, they've put together some, some huge recruiting classes in terms of numbers and kind of, I don't, I haven't really gone into any deep research into Tennessee, but just on the surface, it seems like, you know, there's some oversigning and a lot of gray shirting stuff going on at Tennessee. And, you know, he's doing a good job recruiting. Um, you know, he's, I think they're still in the top five this cycle. And, um, you know, maybe he puts together a couple good seasons in the SEC and he becomes a viable candidate. But I just get the sense that he's probably going to want to stay at Tennessee with these recruits um, for, for a good while. So, um, you know, I, I would put him on the list, but he's not really someone personally that I think um, would be in my top two or three. Um, but we'll see maybe in another, another year or two. The last guy I want to talk about, and um, this is interesting because he's so young. Um, I mentioned him on Twitter, uh, I believe on early Saturday. That's PJ Fleck at Western Michigan. Now, you want to talk about somebody who's not ready. I mean, he pretty much fits the bill. He'll be. 34 later this month. He's super young. But if you're going to look at somebody who's maybe the next Urban Meyer, and I know that's kind of crazy to think that he'll be able to fill those type of shoes, but, I mean, he kind of has early on in his coaching career, he's kind of checking off a lot of those boxes that you'd like to see for the next superstar coach. Um, You know, he was a good college player. That doesn't really matter to a whole lot of people. He played in the NFL a little bit. Um, he worked under Trestle briefly as a grad assistant. Uh, I think he was an assistant under Shiano for a year or two. Um, he worked for Dave Doran, who's now, I believe, at NC State. Um, you know, he was the offensive coordinator for Northern Illinois. That's his alma mater. He was the offensive coordinator there for in 2012 when they made that big run to a BCS bowl game. And uh, he's only he's only in his second year at Western Michigan. Um, you know, he took over a pretty crappy program. That that program fell apart pretty quickly. I can't remember the coach's name who uh, who came to Notre Dame. Was it in 2011? Cubit? Is Bill Cubit? Is that? I don't know if I have that right. But um, they were kind of on a downward trajectory after having a couple good seasons with that coach. He got fired uh, a couple years ago, and, and Fleck took over. They won only one game last year, but now he's got – I think they're seven and three is his record this year. That's a pretty good turnaround. So he's just someone on the radar that I'm, I'm looking at. Uh, I do think they play central Michigan this week. And if they win that game, I think they're still in the race to 
to win the their division in the MAC. I, and then they close with uh, Northern Illinois. Uh, you can imagine uh, what it might be like for him to beat his alma mater and go to the MAC title game in his second year. So he's someone who is going to need a lot more seasoning. But you know, if if Brian Kelly ends up staying at Notre Dame for another four to six years, maybe PJ Fleck is a is, is a guy who's going to be a rising star and might want to. Uh, he might be someone who's going to be. Uh, worth it to look at down the road. Um, he's from Illinois, so maybe there is some uh, affinity for Notre Dame. So uh, you know, you just look at all those guys that I've uh, I've talked about. I'm sure no one's really jumping out of their pants to to see any of those guys coach at Notre Dame. You know, a lot of people will bring up Urban Meyer, or Bob's Tube. So go through the old the whole Rolodex from 2004. Um, you know, I think I think we could admit that that's probably not going to happen. I don't think there's any way in heck that Urban Meyer is going to be leaving Ohio State. Um, that's just not going to happen. Bob Stoops, at this point, I mean, I guess you have to question if he still has it in him to come to Notre Dame. I think a lot of people have always felt like that his, like, swan song – Free retirement uh, challenge, I guess, is going to be coming to Notre Dame and resurrecting Notre Dame and winning a national title. But, um, you know, he's already 54 years old. Um, I don't I don't know. It's tough to me seeing him make that jump, you know, whether people want to believe it or not. this That type of a jump doesn't really happen in college football all that much. Maybe he just kind of retires out of the blue like Urban Meyer and takes a year off, and then Notre Dame ends up hiring him. But I just don't see that happening. I think he's going to stay at Oklahoma until he's done coaching football, and that's that. So you look at that, and uh, you know, it's not the matter of oh, does Swarbrick have a list? Oh my God, he doesn't have a list. I don't think he has a list. Uh, Swarbrick has a list, and. The only thing he can do is prepare for the inevitability of Brian Kelly not being here. And it just takes a lot of luck to bring in a good coach that can do a lot of good things for the Notre Dame football program. It's not just a matter of flipping a switch um, of, of the Notre Dame administration. It's Jack Swarbrick saying, oh, we want a new coach who's going to be good. I mean – I think the effort's there. I think people who don't think that that effort's there, who want to just, you know, say all this stuff about Notre Dame and they don't care, blah blah blah. I, I just think that that's that's the narrative that they want to they want to talk about, and it's been that way for 15 years. I don't think, I mean, it's not going to change. I mean, you've seen, you know, during the 2012 season, that stuff kind of went away, and then it went away again at the beginning of this year, and 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 you know it. In some respects, it just feels like until a Notre Dame coach wins a national championship, those same people are just going to keep that same narrative no matter what. I mean, it doesn't really matter what Notre Dame does, uh, you know, outside of hiring a head coach. I mean, like I said, they've checked off all these boxes of improving the program, you know. I mean, there's not a whole lot Notre Dame can do you know, on a yearly basis to 
to prove to these fans that they, they care about having a winning program. And, and even when they, they do those things, those people don't care because that's just the narrative that they want to talk about. So, you know, that's just the way things go. Um, it's not a very good coaching market right now. And I think that's kind of scary. And I think that that's going to bring on a lot of, uh, a lot of arguing over the next probably 12 to 18 months. Um, I'm not really looking forward to it. You know, I've kind of saw this coming for, for quite a while. I think Brian Kelly's a good coach. The odds are always going to be stacked against another damn coach winning a national championship. I think, you know, it'd be nice if he could get into the playoffs, maybe one of these, maybe next year, at least win one of those big bowl games. And, and I think if he does that, then I think a lot of the, uh, a lot of the infighting is going to go away, but until that happens, you know, he's going to be stuck in that gray area. And I think there's just going to be a, a ton of arguing about the future of the program. And, and it's never really going to be like Charlie Weiss where, you know, just about every jump, everybody jumps off the ship eventually because they see the things aren't working out. And, um, you know, the foundation of the program's cracking and, and, you know, the strength and conditioning programs not doing anything and, you know, the offensive line is a mess. You know, we haven't really seen that type of stuff happen under Brian Kelly yet over, you know, multiple seasons. So, you know, I just think it's going to lend itself to a lot of, uh, a lot of hair pulling and, and a lot of arguing. It's just a huge gray area, gray area, excuse me, you know, and Notre Dame's never been in this position before of having to deal with a coach like this. And, um, you know, I think that again, that makes a lot of people, uh, upset, you know, because they look at Brian Kelly winning nine games and they don't think that's good enough, but, uh, hiring, hiring your next coach is really important and they have to get it right. I mean, there's really nothing. I mean, if you ask me right now, let's say Brian Kelly goes nine and three and, uh, you know, he sticks around for another year, but after that other year, you get Coach X, who is going to be 15% better than Brian Kelly. Is it worth it to keep Brian Kelly for the extra year? Of course it is. I mean, that's what's important is hiring the next coach and making sure that that person uh, is going to be good at his job. And, uh, you know, go back to 2008. I think that's exactly what Jack Swarbrick did. And uh, I just think it's ridiculous that he doesn't get any credit for that. You know, they, they, they take it and they use it against him. Like, like he didn't care. He didn't care enough to fire Charlie Weiss when it was obvious to everybody that Charlie Weiss wasn't going to work out. Well, what he did was he did his homework, and uh, he went out and got the best coach that he could at that time. So, um, you know, people are always going to argue about the coaching hires, and, uh, you know, there's really nothing you can do about that. So, uh, like I said, I don't really think that anything I've said here today is going to change anybody's mind they have their narrative they're going to stick with it and they always are going to stick with it so um one of the other things i wanted to talk about was the coaching staff now um with the future of brian kelly being a hot topic this week um i kind of was talking to our one foot down peeps and uh kind of put together an assistant coaching power ranking uh, list, I guess. And uh, I'll just go through it here with you guys. Uh, it's kind of fun to talk about. And, uh, you know, I think I would imagine most of our listeners are pretty pretty in tune with the program and and, uh, and know a lot about these assistants. Uh, and for maybe some of you who aren't, then maybe this will be uh, 
something worth listening to. So I, I think at the top, I would put Mike Denbrock, um, largely based on his relationship with Brian Kelly. Um, you know, he's been with Kelly for quite a bit of his career. Um, I like that continuity that they have. Uh, this is his first year as offensive coordinator. You kind of turnovers aside, I, I think he's done a lot of good things this year. I've probably been more happy with the play calling this year than at any point uh, in Brian Kelly's tenure. I still think that they get away from uh, that versatility. You know, we saw a lot of two back sets for a couple games and and uh, a lot of H back stuff. At least they've used the jet sweep a lot this year. I, I think that has to be a staple of the offense. I like that they've used that um, pretty consistently this year. And, you know, Dunbrock does get the uh, – he gets the ability to uh, to use a more mature and experienced Golson. So, um, you know, I think he's done a good job with the receivers as well. Uh, Will Fuller's developed uh, tremendously this year. Corey Robinson does done a good job this year. I think he's played a little bit above my expectations for him. Um, Carlisle kind of started hot and went into a funk, but I think he's done okay this year. They did a good job of not losing him. Uh, CJ Procise I've been impressed with. Um, so a good job developing him um, after he was a safety. And uh, Denbrock seems like a pretty decent recruiter. Um, you know, Probably not an amazing recruiter, but definitely not a bad recruiter. So you know, just the whole package, um, I kind of put him at the top. Tony Alford's my number two. Um, you know, his stock's still pretty high. I think he can do a little bit better in Florida, although that's always a tough place to recruit. He kind of seems to pick and choose his spots. I believe uh, Coney is the only Florida player. If I, I, th- you know, I don't think I think he's the only Florida player in this cycle. So you know, usually like maybe two or three players from Florida recycle. I know he did kind of take over uh, Wimbush's recruitment, and he got that flip going. So, you know, I don't have any reservations about Tony Alford as a recruiter, and, uh, and, you know, obviously he's the head of recruiting for Notre Dame. Um, running back, I think he's still – I don't really see any reason to downgrade him, downgrade him as, a, as a running back coach. Um, I'm not sure how much of the play of Brian is – is due to Bryant himself or, you know, play calling and stuff like that. So, you know, he's developed uh, Terry and Folston pretty well this year. And, uh, you know, I don't see any reason to, to downgrade his stock. Uh, my number three assistant is Kerry Cooks. I think he's probably the most underrated assistant on the team. I think he's done a really good job with the corners this year. You know, losing Kavari Russell was a big blow. Um, he's developed Cole Luke really well. Um, he got Cody Riggs to come in and, and play into the system pretty quickly. He's done a good job with Farley at the nickel spot. Um, I don't think he's been dealt a very good hand at the safety position, so I'm kind of lenient on him uh, coaching back there. I, I, I kind of do think that maybe he has a little bit too much on his plate there, but you know he doesn't really have the horses at, at, at safety this year, and uh, you know that's injuries and all that stuff. I, I think we'd be singing a little bit of a different tune if Collinsworth was healthy this whole year. Obviously the defense would be playing better this year, but uh, you know, his, his work as recruiting has been tremendous uh, going into te- Texas and really just blossoming as a recruiter down there. He's doing a little bit in Louisiana, helping out with, with, uh, with, with stuff down there. So uh, you know, his, his work in Texas is probably the most important 
recruiting aspect that has been going on uh, in the Brian Kelly area. I know he's done some good things in uh, the, the Eastern Seaboard and the Carolinas, but the past couple of cycles, uh, the recruiting in Texas has been top notch. So uh, major props to uh, Kerry Cooks. Uh, fourth coach would be uh, Elston coaching the defensive line. Um, I do think his stock's falling a little bit. Uh, you know, he's been dealt kind of a bad hand as well. Last year, he kind of got fat Nixon to it together, and, you know, that whole situation didn't really uh, go very well. Um, again, it's kind of hard to know how much to put on the coach himself and how much to lay at the feet of the players who don't stay in shape or have injuries and aren't able to come back from those injuries very well. Um, you know, this year, uh, not not a great year for him. I thought the I thought we'd see a little bit more uh, oomph out of the defensive line. I thought maybe we'd see a little bit more of the edge rushers, but uh, you know, now he's dealing with some injuries of his own, and uh, that's going to be tough on him. He he he's a pretty good recruiter, it seems. Uh, if you look at like who he's recruited and signed, he's probably up there as signing the most guys, but he does probably get the easiest area. He's assigned to Dan in Ohio, so I mean that's. Really not an area where you would expect a guy to go in and struggle as a recruiter, so I'm not sure how much of that is him being a great recruiter, just kind of, you know, doing what he needs to do to uh, sell Notre Dame and, and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, we've done really well in Indiana, locking down all the top players in, in state, so he does deserve some credit for that. Harry Heastan would be my next guy. He's kind of a curious case right now. He's done really well as a recruiter. There's no doubt about that. He, the train keeps rolling. 2016, he's got a five-star coming in. I'm sure they're going to have another good class uh, after this 2015 class. Um, I do think he's he's kind of shored up some of the problems um, this, this year with offensive line play. Obviously, they're not playing great, especially in pass protection, which is kind of interesting. It almost does feel like the, the line is blocking better in the run game than pass blocking, which is the total opposite of last year. But he's going to have a lot of pressure moving forward just because of all that those good recruits that are uh, going to be at his disposal. And and uh, at some point, I think people are going to you know say you got all these great recruits, you need to have a dominant offensive line. And you know if he doesn't, then um, you know that's probably going to be on him. So uh, my next coach is Brian Van Gorder, and uh, it's pretty funny that he's probably this far down on the list uh, after the start Notre Dame had to this season, but. Uh, you know, his stock has quickly plummeted. Uh, I'm not sure how much to lay his feet with all the injuries, but he does deserve his fair share of blame. Um, you know, I don't think the early season was a mirage. He did um, some really nice things. You know, the blitzing was working. I don't know if other teams have just figured out that blitzing or it's, it's a it's a mixture of that and the fact that he's lost some, some key players. But, uh, you know, I do think he does deserve a lot of credit for developing Joe Schmidt very quickly and making him kind of the leader of the defense, the captain, the, the you know, the quarterback of the defense, so to speak. Uh, you know, that's Van Gorder's position, the inside linebackers. Um, you know, and I, I, there's there's every right to be skeptical right now with the way that the defense has played over the last month. But, uh, you know, he, he's definitely – I don't think – you know, there's been some some whispers here and there that maybe he should be fired. I don't think I think that would be pretty ridiculous. Uh, but he's definitely someone to bring back next year and see what he can do with, with a pretty healthy roster of uh, of uh, starters coming back. And 
you know, he'll have some young players that he'll be able to uh, insert into the lineup as well. Uh, pro- probably, I gave him kind of a two to be determined as a recruiter. Um, probably in most respects, he's going to be an upgrade from Diaco in that in that way, just from the fact that he's not going to be as picky and he's probably going to go out and, and know what he wants and he's not going to be shy to take you know take that three star defensive lineman and, and know that he can develop him. So in that way, I think that uh, you know he's someone that we kind of be able to uh, see how he does in the future with the recruiting. Uh, the next coach I have is is Lafleur, the quarterback coach. Um, I guess it depends on on you know what you want to look at so far with Golson. You know, obviously the turnovers are probably a black eye for him right now. And I, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, the further away Golson gets from George Whitfield, the worse he seems to get. I don't know if really if I really uh, agree with that necessarily. I do think that Lafleur is going to be able to hang his hat on the fact that. Golson's going to have a heck of a year from a number standpoint. That might not mean a whole lot to people because of the turnovers, but you know, again, a lot of these turnovers are pretty damn fluky. So, um, you know, Golson's doing a lot of good things this year, and uh, Lafleur's a young coach. Uh, don't really, not really sure what he's doing recruiting. I think kind of thrown to the wolves a little bit by sticking him out in California and trying to be uh, trying to trying to be a big dog out there. I know he's probably getting a lot of help from from some other coaches out there as well. But, uh, you know, it's going to be a tough job for him out there. Maybe, you know, he's young, he's a good-looking guy. Maybe they think that he's going to be uh, a stud out there within a couple of years. But, uh, you know, I think he's someone whose stock is probably on hold right now. It's, I don't think it would be devastating if he moved on after the year, but not somebody that I would look into firing after one year. So um, the next coach is, uh, is Scott Booker. Um, I pretty much have him on notice right now. I don't think he's really developed all that well as a coach. Um, he's done some okay things in recruiting. Um, it's probably his biggest asset. He He's done some good work in Louisiana. I don't know how much of that is him and or him and uh, Cook's kind of tag teaming that. Uh, he does kind of go in recruiter, but, uh, you know, he's, he's a tight ends coach, tight end this year. Eh, they're not doing that great. Special teams coach, that's probably the one area where he's probably not going to hang on too long. So, um, you know, we kind of discussed this with our OFD brethren, and, uh, you know, the consensus seems to be that he is probably going to be fired after the season, and I don't really see a big problem with that. The last coach is uh, is Bob Elliott. Uh, he moved to outside linebacker this year, which didn't make a whole lot of sense because I'm not really sure who he's coaching at the moment. Um you know, if he's just coaching that uh, strong side linebackers, it's not like he's really uh, coaching a lot of players who are playing right now because we're in so many nickel and dime looks. Uh, and if he is coaching Jalen, then uh, I don't know if that's really uh, a bright spot for him. It seems like Jalen's regressed a little bit this year after a hot start. Um, you know, he does come up a lot with recruits. He does seem to go out and, and talk to guys. He's a really nice guy. Um, but, you know, unfortunately he's – He's not a, a young spry coach anymore. He's kind of getting up there in age. He's had some health problems. So uh, I think, you know, just me speaking personally, I think maybe it's time to uh, get some younger blood in there and, and see what, see what uh, you know, Brian Kelly can do uh, in hiring someone else there. And, and, you know, he's not really coaching a super important position right now. I think it might be important to get somebody to come into coach safeties full-time. I don't know if that's going to be Kyle McCarthy. Um 
coming off of a, a grad assistant year. So we'll see what happens with that. So, you know, looking at all those coaches, all those assistants, I think Booker and Elliott are the two guys that are probably going to be looked at pretty, uh, pretty intensely after this season. And I would imagine that at least one of them uh, are going to be moving on or whatever. I don't know if Elliott would retire or keep coaching. So, um, you know, that's kind of the look at the coaching staff. Uh, just to quickly recap, re- uh, uh, end this podcast. Uh, you know, we got the Louisville Cardinals coming in this weekend. I'm going to be finishing up my preview of that game here shortly. Um, I don't think it's going to be a game in which Notre Dame is going to have an easy time winning. Obviously, I'd be very surprised if Notre Dame. This was a game where Notre Dame came out and just played amazing, uh, and a lot of those defensive problems went away, and the turnovers went away, and they ended up winning by like. 15 points or something like that. Um, it is pretty crazy that Vegas had Notre Dame opening up as a nine-point favorite, which I think, I mean, that just flat-out stunned me. It did move down to four, and it's down down to three-and-a-half as I'm taping this podcast. But still, I would have thought that that would be flip-flopped. I would probably, you know, just from my point of view, I thought Louisville would be favored by six or seven points. Um but so I'll just get into my in my preview. I'll kind of maybe try to understand what what Vegas is thinking with with Notre Dame being favored because I don't think many people are expecting Notre Dame to win this game. Uh, you know, Bobby Petrino's coming in. It's the first game that Notre Dame's played against Louisville, which will be interesting. The weather's going to be pretty crappy. I think the latest uh, forecast I saw was high of forty, um, maybe some snow and freezing rain mix. So maybe that's going to be playing a factor into uh, why maybe Notre Dame could win the game. Uh, there's a lot of Southern kids on Louisville. I know they did just play at Boston College. I don't know how cold that game was, but that's something I'm going to tackle in my preview. But, uh, you know, it's a senior day game for Notre Dame, uh, undefeated under Brian Kelly in senior day games. Uh, a lot of those games really weren't super tough opponents. Probably have to go back to that Utah game back in 2010. That Utah team was ranked at the time. Um Probably this Utah uh, Louisville team is more talented, um, although they're not ranked as highly. But in, just in terms of like recruiting rankings and, and and guys who are projected to go into the NFL, this is probably easily a more talented team. So this is going to be a really tough senior day game, and uh, you know I'm not sure whether this is going to be an easier game to win than the USC game or not, but. <laughs> You know, at this point, you just got to cross your fingers and hope that Notre Dame can at least win one of these two games. Uh, and, uh, you know, if they take care of business this weekend at home, I think that's going to go a long way to uh, kind of making Notre Dame a little bit more uh, less stressful to talk about. Let's put it that way. So uh, we'll see what happens this weekend. Um, you know, it's always sad to uh, see the seniors go. It's pretty small. Well, I guess there's when you factor in the fifth years that maybe can, can come back. It, it's a big it always can go out with a win and uh, and beat the Cardinals. So uh, make sure to look for my preview on the site Thursday and uh, lots of lots of visitors coming and recruiting for this game. So uh, check out that stuff as well. Uh, maybe we can get some 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 buzz going around uh, the recruiting, and uh, maybe you know if we're lucky enough, we'll get a win and and 
you know, next week we're talking a little bit more happily about Notre Dame football because this past week has not been very fun at all. So I'm Eric Murtaugh. That's going to wrap up our 45th episode. Um, and uh, go Irish.